it was impossible. We speculated upon the probable fate of Bradley and his party of English sailors. Tyler had found the graves of two of them. How many more might have perished? And Miss LaRue, could a young girl long have survived the horrors of Caspac after having been separated from all of her own kind? The assistant secretary wondered if Nobbs still was with her, and then we both smiled at this tacit acceptance of the truth of the whole uncanny tale. I suppose I'm a fool, remarked the assistant secretary, but by George I can't help believing it. And I can see that girl now, with the big Airedale at her side protecting her from the terrors of a million years ago. I can visualize the entire scene. The ape-like Grimaldi men huddled in their filthy caves. The huge pterodactyls soaring through the heavy air upon their bat-like wings. The mighty dinosaurs moving their clumsy hulks beneath the dark shadows of pre-glacial forests. The dragons which we considered myths until science taught us that they were the true recollections of the first man, handed down through countless ages by word of mouth from father to son out of the unrecorded dawn of humanity. It is stupendous, if true, I replied. And to think that possibly they are still there, Tyler and Miss LaRue, surrounded by hideous dangers, and that possibly Bradley still lives, and some of his party. I can't help hoping all the time that Bowen and the girl have found the others. The last Bowen knew of them, there were six left, all told. The mate Bradley, the engineer Olson, and Wilson, Whiteley, Brady, and Sinclair. There might be some hope for them if they could join forces, but separated, I'm afraid they couldn't last long. If only they hadn't let the German prisoners capture the U-33. Bowen should have had better judgment than to have trusted them at all. The chances are von Schoenvoort succeeded in getting safely back to Kiel, and is strutting around with an iron cross this very minute. With a large supply of oil from the wells they discovered in Caspac, with plenty of water and ample provisions, there is no reason why they couldn't have negotiated the submerged tunnel beneath the barrier cliffs and made good their escape. I don't like them, said the assistant secretary, but sometimes you've got to hand it to them. Yes, I growled and there's nothing I'd enjoy more than handing it to them. And then the telephone bell rang. The assistant secretary answered, and as I watched him, I saw his jaw drop and his face go white. My God! he exclaimed as he hung up the receiver as one in a trance. It can't be. What? I asked. Mr. Tyler is dead, he answered in a dull voice. He died at sea, suddenly, yesterday. The next ten days were occupied in burying Mr. Bowen J. Tyler, Sr., and arranging plans for the succor of his son. Mr. Tom Billings, the late Mr. Tyler's secretary, did it all. He is force, energy, initiative, and good judgment combined and personified. I never have beheld a more dynamic young man. He handled lawyers, courts, and executors as a sculptor handles his modeling clay. He formed, fashioned, and forced them to his will. He had been a classmate of Bowen Tyler at college, and a fraternity brother. And before that, he had been an impoverished and improvident cowpuncher on one of the great Tyler ranches. Tyler Sr. had picked him out of thousands of employees and made him, or rather, Tyler had given him the opportunity, and then Billings had made himself. Tyler Jr., as good a judge of men as his father, had taken him into his friendship, and between the two of them they had turned out a man who would have died for a Tyler as quickly as he would have for his flag. Yet there was none of the sycophant or fawner in Billings, 
Ordinarily, I do not wax enthusiastic about men, but this man Billings comes as close to my conception of what a regular man should be as any I have ever met. I venture to say that before Bowen J. Tyler sent him to college, he had never heard the word ethics, and yet I am equally sure that in all his life he never has transgressed a single tenet of the code of ethics of an American gentleman. Ten days after they brought Mr. Tyler's body off the Toreador, we steamed out into the Pacific in search of Caprona. There were forty in the party, including the master and crew of the Toreador, and Billings, the indomitable, was in command. We had a long and uninteresting search for Caprona, for the old map upon which the assistant secretary had finally located it was most inaccurate. When its grim walls finally rose out of the ocean's mists before us, we were so far south that it was a question as to whether we were in the South Pacific or the Antarctic. Bergs were numerous.